This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I pray that if you're not the man yet to be running this country, I pray that God shapes you to be the best man to run this country. I pray that God gives you the words that need to be spoken to your peers and to your generation. That means the world to me. That's what I will pray for, and I'm grateful for yours as well. I'm just praying I don't fight. I do pray. I only go the way of Mr. Yahweh. It's not often I sit down with somebody and they say something that makes me think. Brother, this was great. I love you guys. <laughs> Will you give me something to think about? I had a lot of fun on this interview. I am excited about this episode. I know. Thank you for having us in your beautiful house. Hallmark. Thank you for coming over, guys. Hallmark house, by the way. Oh, I this, appreciate that. This Thank is you. like a dream home. Like I, I literally, every time we were walking back and forth, I would whisper to her, I'd be like, yo, we got to get a house like this. <laughs> oh, we, really? I'm glad. I, I, wish, I wish nothing but happiness for the two of you guys. And, oh, uh, you. you know, I think... The home is nice, but it's the people in it that make a difference. And Amen. so that's 100%. what brings happiness to, to the home for us. This is a, an inaugural first ever podcast in the basement of my home, wow. next door to the playroom. And so, and so you know, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Let's go. We're, we're going to have some it. fun and games yeah. now. Um, I'm glad we're talking about the home because I, I want to start with the home. Uh, yeah. I think uh, I'm a first generation American. And I believe you are too. Yeah, uh, my, my parents are immigrants. Are you an immigrant or? I'm not an immigrant. Your I parents look like came one. from where? Uh, Iraq. Oh, really? Yeah, I think I didn't know that. Yes, and, yeah. and the reason I wanted to bring up the home and it organically just kind of worked here, but the home I feels like where everything begins. Of course. How the home is structured is well, how the community is structured versus the state and then the country. And I feel like right now uh, the home is starting to get divided. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to start with the home and learn about your home because mm -hmm. from what I've watched, you working with Jake, uh, uh, surfing, mm -hmm. you're, you're rapping Eminem, you, you, I could tell you're very, very good on camera and your heart is pushing in the right direction. Uh, and we have, we have notes to talk about when you were in college and how you just love to debate. Mm -hmm. You go on the opposite side and just, you know, fight for them. And so yeah. I know you're, you have everything you need to become a president one day. And so what I want to know is who you are without the office, I want to know what your home is like hmm. because you're going to bring your home into the White House and mm -hmm. that home is going to duplicate in mm -hmm. our country. Mm -hmm. So I want yeah. to just take a, a step back to know who are you before you got into all this? How were you raised? Yeah, I think it's interesting you say that. I, I, you may be light years ahead of where I was before I was married, but it's only after getting married and having kids myself that I really gained a deep appreciation for what you just said which is that the home, the family unit, is the foundation for everything in mm. a great society, a great country. Even Aristotle, back in the early days of ancient Greece, believed that the household was the unit around which a great nation state is built. But I only 
understood that in my bones. I would say somewhat after getting married, but really only even after having kids. And so I applaud you for being well ahead of where I was in my own journey. And it should have been obvious to me because that's actually what I had growing up was a stable family, two parents in the house with a focus on education, instilling in us a belief in God. And I think that gave us the self-confidence to be able to jump high, as the case may be. My dad used to say, you know, you can jump higher if you're jumping from a stable foundation. It makes sense. If your foundation is itself wobbly, you're not going to jump as high as you possibly could. And so part of that, I think, is is it gives you a sense of self-confidence. Once you figure out who you are, it becomes easier to do the things that match who you are. The harder question is figuring out who you are. So anyway, for me, my upbringing was, I, I don't know how similar it was to yours, but maybe you tell me. I mean, I had, Did your parents spare the rod? What's that? Did your parents <laughs> spare the rod? <laughs> what, is, what, do you, what, is, what do you mean? Like it's, like it's, bring it out a little bit? Yeah, I mean, like, don't act up. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. And, and I think that's important because if... Who's that? Oh, I don't know. It's the vid. I'm just kidding. I wanted oh. to freak you out because... You're, <laughs> you tell me. <laughs> Thanks, bro. I was like, this is my home, but I don't know this man. That's so funny. <laughs> it's good to see you, man. Could you put this over there? I'll yeah, grab it if course. I need it. Um... I found that so he was like, uh, I don't know. And I have security <laughs> all around my house. I should probably know. Uh, so, yeah, my, my dad, my dad never spared the rod. It's a biblical term. And uh, God is, you know, talking to the man of the house. And he's saying, don't spare the rod because you might have to, you know, show them what pain is at a small fraction. Oh, you mean fraction. that in the literal sense? Yeah. So, so my parents did not, uh, they didn't use it often, but they didn't spare it. Yeah. <laughs> they I'll only used it when they needed it. Yeah, of course. And you know, it's there. And so once, once you learn as a kid about, the importance of the boundaries your parents have set, then you have actually an, an opportunity to build your own understanding of what is or is not appropriate around that understanding that your parents gave you. And so for me, it was maybe not uncommon to that of many immigrants who come to this country. There's a sense of insecurity, I guess, because my parents didn't come here with a lot of money. Mm. They were earnestly focused on one thing in life, which is making sure that their kids had a secure life that was better than their own. And they understood that that, in, that gave them a responsibility to set clear boundaries at a young age. Okay, this is how you do things. This isn't how you do things. And it's not that as you grow up as an adult, you necessarily follow every little last boundary they set for you. I mean, if I had followed their wish and career path, I would have been a, you know, a doctor practicing medicine, probably here in Columbus, Ohio, but living a very different life than we do now. But it gives you a starting point or at least a framework from which to go in a different direction. But if you have no basis at all, to say that, okay, this is the general norm, and I'm going to deviate from that norm in some way, if you're completely rudderless, I think that makes life a lot more difficult. And mm. so anyway, I think that's what the nuclear family does, having two parents in the house, is it gives you a norm to say that even if you're going to do things a little bit differently, at least you have a stable foundation as the backdrop to deviate even from. A foundation. Yeah. Exactly. If, yeah. if, you, if you don't if you lack that foundation, then then I think we're, we would have been, yeah. I think I speak for my brother and I both, but I definitely speak for myself, probably a lot more rudderless and would not have achieved the things that I have in my life without that mooring in the first place. I agree, but I also think that if you didn't have that fear factor, uh, you also wouldn't have that. And mm -hmm. I, I'm starting to realize that there's quotes that I follow that I know have a lot more power than people understand. And that's the reason why I always push in a biblical sense. Even if you're not a religious man, it's still a history book. Oh, and history yeah. repeats itself. So when I And not only is it a history book, it is time-tested history book in the sense that this has given direction and purpose and meaning to people over a couple thousand years now. 
And so <laughs> there's something there. Yeah. You could, you could dis- decide whether or not that's your, that's your, you know, sole basis for understanding truth or God, but there's literally it's given people meaning for that long. It's at least withstood the test of time. Well, if at every at the time they least. deviate from it, uh, the kingdom falls. Yeah. And, and when I see a kingdom fall in history, I see what happens is they, they, they water down the father figure. Mm. Super perfect way to attack a country, attack a home. If you yeah. get rid of the father, then who's going to raise your kids? Mm-hmm. And so I'm noticing that our country is being divided and it's, be, it's being divided I would say used by social media. I think that uh, war that's happening now isn't like guns on the battlefield. Mm-hmm. It's turning your own people against you. That's right. So if I'm a social media star, I got to make sure that I'm representing this country in a, in a well way. And so I disagree with a lot of things that Joe Biden is doing. And I've never really spoke politically uh, for many reasons. One, I'm not... Uh, a genius at it. So it's hard for me to speak up if I don't know. Then I'll just be contributing. It's very humble of you and it's, honest. It's, it's, it's stupid for me to come and play if I don't know what's going on. So I want everybody to know that I'm sitting here as, as an average American, one who's seeing what's going on and passing. And so I'm sitting here. I want to learn from you. And I also want to, I want to speak from the heart. So before I even speak about yeah. how I feel about Joe Biden, what is, what is your, your feeling about Joe? You know, my feeling about Joe is I actually maybe much less than other Republicans spend a lot less of my airtime sitting around criticizing him because I don't even think that in any real sense of the word, he is the operative president of the United States. Mm -hmm. I think he is like so many politicians, a figure, he's a puppet for this managerial machine that sits underneath him. So it's like a bad version, a nightmarish version of like the Greg Popovich, San Antonio Spurs, right? It almost doesn't matter who's playing point guard because it's a machine that operates irrespective of who's actually playing whatever role they're playing. And he just happens to be really the instrument, the puppet who's playing the role of the U.S. president. And viewed as such, see, a lot of people wonder, well, why would they nominate this man who has this many cognitive deficits or is unable to construct full sentences? In some ways, for the people who are operating that machine, and that's not one person who's like the Wizard of Oz sitting behind the scenes. It's a whole machine. It's actually more convenient when the president doesn't have independent thoughts of his own, when the president itself is just a cog in that wheel. And so, yes, do I have, I mean, could I give you a whole litany for two hours of a list of Biden's policies that have been disasters for the country, the failure to enforce basic policies on our southern border, the implications for economy? Yes, we could we could go through all of that and wouldn't be that different than what many of the Republican politicians could tell you. But I think the reality is actually far more interesting and far more important to the country, which is that the idea that this is one man who's actually calling the shots as the leader of the executive branch is a farce. Mm. He's not. The people who were electing to run the government, that's the myth we tell ourselves in America today, that we tell ourselves we go through these elections, the people we elect to run the government, they're the ones running the government, then we hold them accountable. It's all a fairy tale. The people were electing to run the government. They're not the ones actually running the government. It is this managerial bureaucracy, this machine that's independent of the people who we elect. But the people who we never elected are the ones really pulling the strings. And so what I think of Joe Biden, I think he's a puppet. And I think for that reason, he's mostly irrelevant. And I think a lot of the focus disproportionately, like even in the Republican primary process, the pledge they had all the candidates sign is the beat Biden pledge. As I signed it, I kind of scoffed. I mean, you had to sign it to be on the debate stage. So I signed it, but I kind of laughed to myself because it, 
reflects the way in which the Republican Party is itself missing the point. I think there's a very good chance Joe Biden won't end up being the nominee by the time we get there. Yeah. The puppet masters are slowly losing their use for him. When you when you become totally impaired at a certain point, you stop being useful even as a puppet. But I think that's what I think is really going on with the Biden issue. And you you spoke on this that, you know, one of your things that you wanted to bring to the attention was that you want the board, the people who are on the government to be the ones to actually be running the government. Yes. Right. That's the I mean, there's two basic ideas that I approach this with. It's not black or white or even Democrat or Republican. One is the people who we elect to run the government should be the ones who run the government. And number two is those people who we elect, they owe a moral duty exclusively to the citizens of this country, Mm. not any other one. The first and only moral duty of U.S. elected leaders are to the U.S. citizens in this country. That's it. I don't think that's too much to ask. I think that that that's two basic ideas that we fought in American Revolution to say. We get to choose who runs the government. We, the people, create a government that's accountable to us, not the other way around. That's what the American Revolution was fought for, and that's what I stand for. My, my, uh, my opinion of Joe Biden, and, and this is like my first time ever opening up, let me, be, let me first be very respectful. When I came to this country, my dad made it very clear in front of my friends. He embarrassed me really hard because we walked in as like high schoolers not knowing anything yeah. about this country, and we were mad talking shit about this country. And my dad pulled me aside. He goes, we gave up everything mm-hmm. to be in this country. Mm-hmm. He goes, so... Don't be the man that sits and complains and does nothing. Be the man who's quiet, rolls up his sleeves and gets to work. Yes. Okay. So to be that man. I love I, your dad already. <laughs> I have to see Joe Biden as a man that's greater than I. And I'll explain why. Because he rolled up his sleeves and he at least attempted to try to help this country. Now, I don't know him personally. I don't know his philosophies. I don't know what way he's I don't know going him personally about. either. Yeah. yeah. So for me to say, no, this guy's a clown. He needs to get out of here. That's stupid. It's idiotic. It's very immature. The man has dedicated his life to this country. So I, I must respect his heart. But. As a 31-year-old man, I can't hide my eyes and my ears to see that the man who's running our country can't walk on and off stage. The man is disabled mm-hmm. mentally right now. And that's not taking shots at him. No, it's the, sad. The man's age is there. He's done everything. I can't even go. When people say, oh, look at this man. He's, he's not there. But the man was there. And the man gave everything he got to the point where literally the man's checked out. Mm-hmm. So... As a, as a citizen, I'm just saying, why isn't anybody stepping in? Because as a, I've never voted. And the reason why I've never voted hmm. is because I believe that the votes don't matter. Now, that might piss a lot of people off. But come on, dude, the president is not here right now. So as a man who's trying to become more of a person who, sh- who should believing who should be believing in voting, why should me or anybody else consider voting when the man who is in charge right now is publicly and personally not running this country. Yeah, so, so it sounds like you and I have some pretty similar observations. I think it's the most important thing, and I think many Republicans miss this. The man is not really the president of the United States in any sense that our founding fathers envisioned. So, so then right? why should I care about voting? So, and I, and I come from a place of understanding where you're at, man. For most of my 20s, I voted in my first election back when I was 19. I voted for the Libertarian because I couldn't fathom voting for either George Bush or John Kerry in 2004. Mm-hmm. But... I didn't actually vote for much of my 20s after that because I didn't see candidates who inspired me. So I'm coming from a place of understanding where you're coming from. I can tell you sitting where I sit now, I still regret that. I still regret that because as long as there's somebody who has a last best chance, and this is why I ran for president this time, and I think that, I think that it's what motivated me and gave me a sense of obligation to do this. Somebody needs to come in and break that system. So it's not 
serving as as a red colored cog or a blue colored cog in the same system, which is what you admittedly have from the professional politicians who repeatedly run. But what we need is somebody who isn't running as a red cog or a blue cog, but somebody who's bringing a baseball bat to break all the cogs. Basic reforms that we need in our government that say the people who we elect to run the government run the government. Get rid of a lot of the bureaucrats that are wielding these professional politicians like puppets. That puts more responsibility than on the elected representatives. Because what happens when you have the bureaucrats that are running the show is the elected representatives don't need to actually assume that level of responsibility anymore. And it works out better for them. It's true of the president. It's true of most people in Congress. What you said about Biden is true in terms of elder abuse and the gerontocracy in the, in the White House. No disrespect to him, but he's not able to do the job. But we have many people in Congress and in the U.S. Senate that fit that same description because the job is being done by about four million federal bureaucrats who were never elected to those positions in the first place, but who are the real ones exercising power over the economy and yeah. the judici- and, and the legal system and the running of this country. And so these things work together where if you have a candidate who's actually going to step up and bring a baseball bat to break that system, I would say if you're disillusioned by the system, you still have an obligation to make sure that we burn that system to the ground and build a new one in its place. Are and you not playing are, by that system? Well, I... I I didn't play by that system in so many ways. Well, you're not I mean, out yet. I mean, you might be out for this <laughs> For election, this cycle. Yeah. But I know what you're doing. You're setting yourself in. You did a cannonball, showed the people what you could do, and then when you circle back, not only do the young Americans know who you are, but the new young Americans will know who you are. It's a perfect play. I know exactly what you're going to and do. And the next generation is, I mean, that's the whole reason we're doing this. I mean, my my kids and their generation, and in some ways you're maybe a, a close to a generation of the next generation to me. We're not going to have a country left unless we have somebody who actually breaks that system and breaks that entire cog and machine that this is built on. And so what I would say is kind of like the advice your father gave you a little bit, you don't value a country that you just passively inherit. You value a country that you have a stake in building, in creating and knowing something about. So it's not just going to the ballot box and casting the ballot. Yes, I would encourage you to do that. But I think it is... More importantly, having some sense of skin in the game and saying that, you know what, if I want a country different than the one that I live in today, it is my responsibility to step up and do my part to actually create that. Mm -hmm. So that's why I think that every, you might have heard me say this in the campaign trail, I think every high school senior who becomes a voting citizen should have to pass the same civics test that every immigrant has to pass in order to become a voting citizen in this country. I see no point in you going to the ballot box and just filling it out and, and handing it in, voting for the know. U.S. president, if you have no idea what branch of government the U.S. president even leads. But I they're think not you even know. educating right. them in school. A- absolutely, Would right? you see this as a bra- like a form of brainwashing? I would see it as a form of... So, so brainwashing is almost too kind. It's almost like a lobotomization, actually. Brainwashing they have no is chance. Like, brainwashing is trying to actually... F- yeah, actually fill somebody's mind with an ideology. I think what we're seeing actually is closer to a mass lobotomization, which makes people stop having the ability to think any ideology in the first place. I think that's what modern algorithmic social media feeds. But I think a lot of that's happening in our educational system as well. I don't think the kids should be using or allowed to use their iPhones in the classroom. It makes jobs a lot easier for teachers mm-hmm. in public schools who are able to check out while their kids are checked out in their own right, effectively all drugged without chemical drugs. But I think that part of what's happening is this mass lobotomization that creates this nation of sheep, right? Supplicated sheep. We're all just going through the motions, doing what our iPhones tell us to do on a given day. 
And then, of course, cultural indoctrination can then follow much more easily. But it's you can't indoctrinate a people who's independent in their thought process, people who are actually having independent thoughts. You can only indoctrinate a populace that has gone through the mass lobotomization that I think our educational system is foisting on our kids. If people are a little bit more lazy, a little bit more relaxed, and maybe don't want to be, you know, have to roll up the sleeves and do it, then yep. it's easier in that sense. But so yeah. I do have a question about the fact that if the federal bureau isn't elected, and yeah. those people are already in, then how would you go about breaking down the people who are controlling the federal bureaus? So it takes a president who gets in there and actually has the spine to effectively burn the apparatus down. Does he have the power to do that? Yes. So this is a controversial view, but my firm view in the current Supreme Court agrees with me on the six to three. The answer is yes. Could you break them down for me? Yeah, I because tell I'm you. seeing Donald Trump try to do every single thing and get burned alive trying to do everything. Sure. And, and I'm going to be helping him in whatever way I can. At this point, I think that he is the best person to lead this country for the next four years. Do you want to be VP? I, I want to do whatever's best for this country, to be honest with you. And, and from having been in the position of being a chief executive myself and running companies and I ran for president, that's, that's the question for the president to decide who he needs in different positions. And it's a question of what his vision is for his administration. But forget about that's what humbling. position. That's yeah. humbling. And, and I want a humble man in office. I mean, that's, we, we want this country to be successful. And that means we want Donald Trump to be successful as the next president. So I'll do whatever is my power to make sure he is as successful as he possibly can be as the next leader of this country. But I think one of the things that we, I think, have learned from the last 25 years, and even from Trump's first term, where he did a good job, is that you can't reform these bureaucracies. You have to be willing to get in there and actually shut them down. Here's the legal basis for how. So Article 2 of the Constitution, it's a great document. Sometimes it's worth going back and revisiting. We forget its existence sometimes. Article 2 of the Constitution says that the executive power of the United States shall be vested in a president. Not in 100 different executive agencies, in a president. That means, and I adopt a theory that's called the unitary theory of the executive branch, which means there's one executive branch. Not 100, not 1,000, not 50, one executive branch. The person who leads that executive branch is the U.S. president. And I know from being an executive, if somebody works for you and you can't fire them, that means they don't work for you. In a literal sense, it means that you work for them because you're then responsible for what they do without any authority to change it. Even just to go outside of politics for a second. So when my first company was in the biotech industry and we visited pharmaceutical companies in, in other regions, like in Japan or other places. And one of the things that's different in the Japanese economy is that even the CEO of companies can't fire the employees who actually work for them. Yeah. And so one of the things that would happen, and this is, this is a, a, a totally different company that I, didn't, it, it, that I had nothing to do with, but I had a chance to learn about, they, the, the CEO or one of the higher ranking executives is talking about the fact that the stories, and this is a guy who had been in America, so he understood the American perspective. Right. Say so the CEO would say, oh, okay, I want you to stop working on this or that project. And they would look at him and say, yes, sir. Yes. Okay. Comes back three months later. Well, they're still spending money on that same wasted project. He said, well, you're doing, it. I told you not to. He said, oh, was, yes, sir. Okay. We will, we will, we will cease operations on this project. Come back six months later. They're doing the same thing. Why? It's because the chief executive in Japan cannot fire employees. It's just part of the, under extreme and rare circumstances, at least for the history of the last 30 years of Japanese culture, you couldn't do it. That's slowly changing in Japan in maybe the last five years. But before that, for the last 30, 40, 50, 100 years in Japan, you just, it's not a thing that you do in the culture. You can't fire employees. 
Well, if you can't fire that employee, that means you cannot hold them accountable for whatever failure that is. They stopped with the rod. They stopped with the rod. They exactly. It goes back to the household principle. It ha- everything starts at the house. Patrick McDavid said a quote that is very, very scary to me. Okay. He said, I'm scared we're going to be the generation that loses God's favor. Mm-hmm. And why that scares me is because I grew up in this country where it was really it was really outstanding to be standing with your God. And then it slowly started getting, maybe we shouldn't invite God into the schools and in the country. And then it started to go like, oh, you talk about God, you're weird. Mm-hmm. This is the true factor that I see with our history books in the Bible. Mm-hmm. If you lose respect for the heavenly father, then you start losing respect for your earthly father. Once you start losing respect for your earthly father, you have no respect for yourself. Mm-hmm. And when you have no respect for yourself, you start acting like a demon. Mm-hmm. And now I'm starting to realize that the people around me care so much more about what God doesn't want you to do that how are we not going to end up in hell's fire? How? Hmm. It's impossible. You, if I turn this light off, the room becomes dark. If you take God out of it, life ceases to exist. So how is it that we could go and openly talk about everything else they want to teach our children, mm-hmm. but we bring up God and we're the outcast? If mm-hmm. we don't stand up for our God in this country today, there will be no country tomorrow. I, I, I believe that. I think our founders believe that. I mean, this it's, it's so in the So how back. do we bring God back into our country? You, you, you take out your, uh, does anybody have your, your wallet on you? I do. Have a dollar bill in there? I, I, let me see. Let's see. It's a cashless society anymore, but... Yeah. Actually, it's yeah, actually one of the things... Okay, let's get a $1 bill. Let's see. I don't have a $1 let's, bill. Let's see what shows you have. really well. Let's see when you have. <laughs> I have 100, I have 20, I have 10. Let's, let's see. I, Here, here's 100. You can keep it. Thanks for your time. It's in the back of everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Any, anybody have a $1 bill? Actually, That's first, first of all, it's in the back of each of these, right? It's in the back of every one of our dollar bills in God we trust. Yeah, but who's yeah. God? Right. Well, I think that I think there's. I, so that's that's a good that's a good question to discuss. Yeah, I mean, the, the beauty of this country is it was founded on. So I'm I'm Hindu, you're Christian, but Hindus believe that God there's was even God. a Buddha, right? There's one true God. In, 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 there's. Thank you. The thing I was going to actually point out was on the back of the one dollar bill is the seal of the United States, and and people don't talk about this enough. It says in God we trust one, and so it's sort of a. It's sort of a play on words here, right? Because it's one as in for this is the $1 bill. Yeah. Right? It's $1. So it says one. <laughs> but that one is located underneath in God we trust. And then on the left-hand side here, you got some interesting things going on. Annuit coeptis, novus ordo seclorum, which means it's sort of in the order of... It, actually, actually, you guys want to just look that up, right? Right here. I, I'll yeah, actually, actually want to... Actually, this is... I want to get this right. I know I know the spirit of what it means, but since we're going deep on this, let's actually just talk about it right now. Yeah. Novus Ordo Seclorum, Annuit Coeptus. And then you look at the back of this. That sounds like a, like a spell. <laughs> it's a, it, it does. It sounds, so, is this wizardly, wizardly place? So, 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 so let's do let's, it. Let's, let's, Annuit Coeptus, which is a classical Latin. It's on the back of our dollar bill, right? These guys, these guys, it is called the Great Seal of the United States. It says... He favors our undertakings. Okay, that's what that means. It's crazy that it says he, he favors. He favors our undertaking because it, it related to actually... Yeah, you're calling what, back to it. What, what, what you were talking about with the Patrick, what Patrick B. David was yes, saying, sir. the generation that God will disfavor. Well, at the start, it says, in God we trust, one for the $1 bill, annuit coeptus, which means he favors our undertakings. But it, the way it's translated in English today is providence has favored our undertakings. And then at the end of it, it says... At the bottom of it, it says this other thing in Latin, novus ordo 
seclorum, which is also in the back of the seal. And this is this is actually this actually just tells you even more extremely how our founding fathers were thinking about this. It means new order for the ages. So they were creating a new order for the ages in whom providence, divine providence trusts. Okay. In God we trust, they then put it in English and then put it under here. It says one, standing for the one dollar bill, but also the foundation around which we're built. There's a pyramid with a little bit of an eye. The top of the pyramid is like an eye looking over that pyramid. Mm. So the pyramids of Egypt are actually very interesting because they were built by a society that thought of themselves as the origins, the progenitors of the greatest civilization of their time. And they thought that there was a certain holiness in what they were doing. Our founding fathers in 1776 thought of themselves in that same spirit of setting in motion this new order for the ages— but it was still one nation under God guided by that divine sense of providence. And so we can debate, you know, I mean, our founding fathers had the debate. I mean, you have said several of our founding fathers, even Thomas Jefferson was not a traditional Christian. He was what he would have called of himself a deist, right? So somebody who believed in Christian principles, but who believed in the philosophy of the teachings of Christ, but did not believe in the individual miracles from the New Testament. And so he cut out from there in the New Testament the teachings of Christ, but minus the stories of the miracles and created what you would call the Jefferson Bible today. It's in the Smithsonian. But regardless, all of our founding fathers, with maybe a couple of exceptions like Thomas Paine, who was an atheist, saw our nation as following from the divine providence of the sole higher power and the sole higher being the one true God. Now, Different, different religions will call him by a different name. You have John Adams, who became a, a scholar. Actually, he, he was Christian, but he became a scholar of Hinduism in his time after he left the White House. But what they believed was, yes, we're one nation under God, but God has put us here still for an actual purpose in this civic realm, where even atheists who don't believe in God can still participate in that civic purpose. But the people who set it into motion still saw it as transpiring with the shadow of God behind them. And so it's interesting where, like, today you forget about that, but even if you just open your wallet and just take out a, a $1 bill, it's hiding right there right. in terms of the ideas that set the nation into our in, into motion. And I think we would do well to at least bring that back into the conversation instead of treating God as a four-letter word, as we've grown to today. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. They're using his name in vain, and using the name in vain means it's useless. And there's a, there's a Bible verse I wanted to share with you. And I wanted to share with you so I could take the time to share it with people that are listening. Uh, for men with faith to, to build on this faith. Uh, it's the Valley of Blessings. And there was this king. And he had a beautiful land. 
and uh, two other allies were coming together. Both allies that he was about to fight had greater armies than him. So on the right, bigger army than him. On the left, bigger army than him. They're coming to take his land. And so he goes to God and he goes, I, I, there's zero way of beating this. There is zero way of beating this. We don't have the resources. We don't have the manpower. We don't even have anything of what source to even come at them. We'd be wiped out in a second. And when I read this, I go, man, that's how I feel right now. I feel like I look at the media and I go, this is just so much bigger than me. I look at who's running for president and I see a man like you saying, everybody else here is bought. I'm seeing the man that we want to believe in is about to be thrown in prison. I'm seeing a chokehold on every exit that we have to bring this country back on its feet. And then I read this and I go, okay, well, what did they do? What was their plan of attack? And the Lord said, it's not your battle no more. Mm. It's mine. So when you go there, put down your weapons. Don't even look at them as enemies. I want you to rejoice. I want you to pray. I want you to give thanks to me and let me know it's in my hands. So I go, okay, what happens next? And then I realized the two enemies that are coming at him in the story, they turn on each other. Hmm. They fight each other. And then when one of them wins, they turn on each other then. And then when they got to where they needed to fight, the war was over. They already won without even raising a sword. Hmm. They gave it to God. And right now, I'm not trying to run for president. Yeah. I'm not trying to push anybody on my God. I'm just trying to say, if you want to get this country back on its feet, start respecting the God who yes. created this country. I Amen. Amen. And, and I think that that's part of the loss of self-respect actually comes from, I think, the loss of a belief in a God higher than yourself, right? In Individual, order. family, nation, God. If you can't humble yourself in front of God and you can't be humble yourself, then it's hard to have like self-confidence and be confident mm -hmm. in who you are and be like, no, these are my choices and I stand on what I believe. Sure. You don't have humbleness. You, you just don't have that. Let's, totally. Let's pivot to situations that are happening as we speak. I, I want to learn. And again, I sit in this chair as, as, a, as a student, not somebody's pointing fingers as a man who's getting his, his resources, his knowledge, his wisdom. So that way I could roll up my sleeves and get to work. Not Love trying that. to point the fingers, not trying to get angry, but I'm confused as much as I want everybody in the world to be strong. Before I get into this, let me tell you a story. Yeah. I was in LA. My mom and dad were paying for my stay. I was at Subway. My mom and dad would give me 200 bucks a week to, to fill my gas, get food, whatever, right? Uh, it was Thursday night, 10 o'clock at night. I had only 20 bucks to my name left, but I'm going to get refilled tomorrow. Uh, and then I see a man in front of me about to pay. He, he's throwing 75 cents at the man, and he goes, can I get a cookie? And I go, bro, I, I, I could eat tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So I paid for him, and I went to bed hungry. And it got so hungry, my stomach started hurting that I, I had to call my dad embarrassingly. And I'd be like, dad, please, like, could you send me some money? I need to go get food. And he reamed me. Mm -hmm. He goes, you're not in a position to help anybody if you can't help yourself. Mm -hmm. He goes, never, ever, ever, ever try to go and help somebody else and then fall on your feet because then somebody else is going to position themselves over you. Mm -hmm. He goes, be strong with your foundation. And then when you're strong and you're confident, then you help your family. When your family is strong and confident, then you help the other people around you. So what I want to know, knowing that from my father, a good man, a great man, mm -hmm. that told me, do not help other people if you're in trouble. Why is it that we're running to other countries and helping them with their borders when we ourselves have no border control? I think it's, I think it's um, a form of escapism actually, from our own, from our own plight. As, a, as the expression goes, riding an airplane, right? Put your own oxygen mask on before helping the passenger next to you because you're going to, in the end, do neither of those two things well. 
in the first place. And so that's a big part of what we're happening right now is first, how about helping yourself? Then how about helping your neighbor or your colleague or your classmate or the person in your community? And then maybe we can get to solving hunger in the Congo, and then we can actually get to solving whatever other global calamity, you know, a lot of that's made up anyway, that that we have to worry about in the first place. But I think right now, it's almost a form of escapism, where solving some of the problems we have at home looks so daunting, that we're deflecting the public to say, we all have a hunger for purpose, right? We all need to fulfill our hunger for purpose. It's pretty darn hard for us to figure out how we're going to address the wave of mental health epidemic, et cetera, raging across this country. Young people with their starvation for purpose. You have veterans committing suicide. You have suicide and depression and anxiety spreading like wildfire across this country. Yeah, I don't know how to deal with that, but let me just focus on climate change from the mountaintops of Davos. Let me worry about Ukraine's border and somebody else's invasion across somebody else's border, rather than actually look in the mirror and taking care of our own border invasion right here at home. From my perspective, it looks like they're just pocketing the money that they're taxing us while pretending that they're good people. Well, that's definitely the people on top, right? But, yeah. but that, that trick only works if our culture is able to be exploited into it. So I think for our culture, what's happening for the people who are buying this up is it's a form of you can't solve what's right in front of you. So let me at least feel good about myself about something that's distant because even if it hasn't been solved, the further away it is, the more I can convince myself that it was solved and that I contributed to doing some good anyway. Now, the people on top, I mean, they're all bought and paid for. I mean, it's all corruption all the way down. You look at the way that the very people who are advocating for more war in Ukraine include people who have interests in military contracting firms that make more money from going to war. You have the lobbying effect of people— Why is lobby illegal? It shouldn't be. I mean, somebody should explain to me why, why is it in the public interest. That is, I'll tell you why. It's, I'm going to tell you mechanically why it's legal. It's legal because the people who have to vote against it are, it in is, are, are the very people <laughs> who are benefiting from being lobbyists afterwards. So if I was president— This I is mean, the mafia. It's what it is. It's a, it's a cartel. Okay. It's, it's, it's a cartel running our government. I don't think you should be able to lobby the government for 10 years after you left the government. I don't think you should be allowed to trade individual stocks— if you're a congressman or a bureaucrat that's regulating different industries, I don't think you should be able to join the board of a company for at least 10 years after you've left that government if you've been actually doing business with that company. I mean, that was my issue with Nikki Haley in the debates. She joins the board of Boeing. Literally, her first act after leaving the government is joining the board of Boeing. And she was bankrupt before that. Oh, and by the way, she had done special favors for Boeing the entire time that she was in government to the tune of hundred millions of dollars. You tell me they weren't waiting nice and warm with a well-paid board seat right afterwards. So it's – and Republicans do it. Democrats do it. So I would say no trading of individual stocks, no joining boards, no lobbying. Add term limits for the congressman as well. I would end the super PACs, the system that allow you to pay millions of dollars to donate to a candidate, even though the technical limit is 3300 because you use a separate vehicle to do it. That's happening in our politics. How does this advance the interests of the American people? There's no good answer to that question. So here's how I would have done it if I was elected president, and this is how I think it still can be done. I hate doing it this way, but this would work is you tell the people in Congress, okay, here's the deal. No lobbying for 10 years until after you've left the government. I would say no lobbying at all if you could, if you could get there. No trading of individual stocks, all of that. But as a concession for you voting for it, it doesn't apply to you, for the people who are already here. 
you're grandfathered in. It only applies smart, to the people who come after you. Smart, because so, then you divide them. Totally. Right. It, it, it divides them. It's the them. same story that you, you just divide, told. And exactly. you know what? Those money-hungry effers are going to be like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, us, yeah, yeah. We'll us, just do it because it's popular. And then, this is popular, but I'm protected because it's not against my own self-interest. Nice right? play. So you got to use – you, you got the their, you gotta feed their ego. And so I'm a businessman. I'm not a politician. But I'm also we a pragmatist. Might need that. Yeah. But if you, you want a country and you want to build it right, go look at a man who's building something. Yeah. Absolutely. Who's actually created things in the world. It's not a bad plan. And our founding fathers did that, by yeah. the way. You know, Thomas Jefferson, he was, he was the, you know, obviously the founding father, third president of the United States, wrote the Declaration of Independence. He also invented the swivel chair while he was at it. Nice. He was an inventor of a bunch. He, invented, he actually invented an early version of the polygraph test. A lot of wow. people don't know that. Benjamin Franklin, who signed the Declaration of Independence, he invented the Franklin stove, actually old model of what, stove. What, that last thing you, you mentioned, isn't that the lie detector yeah. thing? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you think this man knew that we might need that? <laughs> I think he knew I think he knew something about what I, he was I putting wasn't in even trying to be yeah. a jokester. Oh, absolutely. They had politicians in his day too. So yeah. I think he knew a little I, something I about the was, need for that. I think he was in the mud and he was like, oh, this mm. could get a lot more outrageous. This could get pretty interesting, yeah. I want to circle to um to hunger, right? As a Christian man, I always want to make sure that people are fed, but I also don't I don't like encouraging people to be lazy. When yeah. we see the people that served our military that, that sacrificed their life for this flag can't have any money to feed themselves, but we're giving everybody stimulus checks. I just, I can't grab this in my mind. And the second one is this. I worked in the food industry growing up. Do you have any idea how much just one restaurant throws away food? Oh, probably a ton. A, a ton. So they're rushing our animals to get beheaded and they treat them like crap and they destroy their farms to rush them into the trash can they're quick to take our money when we buy it for taxing but they're not going to tax the people that waste money mm -hmm. so you're setting up the country for failure so when you say hey you're going to pay two dollars extra to buy this chicken but at the end of the day you know that that restaurant's going to throw maybe 500 chickens away and they're going to do that tomorrow and so is everybody on that block why are they so concerned with taking more money out of your pocket without taxing or penalizing people that throw away food do you don't even have to throw it away you could pick it up and give it to the shelter so that way we're not having mm -hmm. f shelter food and it's division so what i'm saying is i feel like everything that they put us in is a trap to make us pay for it later Divide and conquer is indeed the way of, of the elites exercising a lot of power in this country. But one thing I'll say is, you know, I think there's a, there's a different kind of hunger that I'm also interested in, and it relates to your point about work, is I think that all of us, whether you're just hungry, you know, you have people who are hungry on the streets, sure, but I think all of us right now are hungry for that sense of higher purpose, right? And so we've lost, we have a hunger for meaning. That's not being satisfied at a moment where God and family and faith and belief in country and patriotism disappear. But part of how we actually address hunger in the literal sense is actually bring back the concepts that satisfy our hunger for purpose in the first place, like hard work, right? So I think it's not compassionate. I think it's cruelty to pay people more money to stay at home instead of to go to work. A lot of those same restaurants that are throwing away those extra, that, that extra, you know, food, well, one of the rate limiters that stops them from being able to expand and serve food to more people is the fact that they can't find enough people to hire to fill most of their open positions, right? So most restaurants, if they want to expand today, one of the top obstacles is filling those open positions. Why is it hard to fill those open positions? Because our government is actually paying people more money to stay at home instead of to go to work in the name of compassion. Now, in the short term, might that allow somebody to buy food that they always might not afford it? Maybe that's the justification. But actually, that's also what's driving an epidemic of depression and loneliness 
you sit in your parents' basement smoking pot, playing video games. You're not actually satisfying your own purpose or meaning. And that's why the very reason the restaurant is actually having a lot of hard time finding an extra person to fill that open position, which in turn creates that cycle of waste. And so it's not like we can just look at one of those elements and say, we're just going to fix this as a Band-Aid solution. We have to take a look holistically at what's happening. And part of what's happening is we have lost our ethos in this country of getting ahead through hard work and commitment and dedication, that the government has actually used our taxpayer money, the money that they're taxing, to pay people to do the opposite of. That's a big part of what has created, I think, a flailing economy that leaves in its wake from veterans to other individuals who are in need of food or or suffering from increasing amount even in the U.S. of starvation. Part of that comes from the loss of the first principle of hard work as something that we cultivate and value in the country in the first place. So that's how I look at it is not going to look at isolated solutions, but look at the holistic picture. Have you seen, that's what I have see. you seen LA and the homeless problem? Oh yeah. Okay. If you ever Been walk to up to them in San Francisco yeah, and talk to them, they literally say, why should I work mm-hmm. if I get two iPhones, yep. if I get food, totally, if I get a transportation, Remember when I said Human sparing the rod? Human beings respond incentives. You yes. Know? You yeah. remember when I said sparing the rod? Yeah. No one gave them the rod. Mm-hmm. If you go to another country and you're homeless, you're going straight to jail. Why? Because they're not putting up with that. Why are they putting up with that? And everybody wants to blame a mental illness. I hate to break it to people. Everybody has a mental illness. Everybody does. You know what that's called? A problem that you have to overcome. Mm-hmm. But if you just throw money at it to go away, you're not, you're not overcoming it. I agree with you wholeheartedly that we're using money to pay people to do the exact opposite of what's even best for them, right? More money not to go to work instead of to go to work. But even bringing this back to the family, we're paying single mothers more money not to have a man in the house than to have that married man in the house. Why do you think they're doing that? I think because it's because they want to exercise power, dominion, control, and punishment. Yeah, because if the man's not controlling the house, something else is. is. Uncle Sam is, right? So the woman's saying, I'd rather be married to Uncle Sam because he's writing me a bigger check than whatever you are. Mm. See that in the inner cities across this country. And so that allows Uncle Sam to exercise more power over the household than the real Sam who was actually in there who got booted because the woman had more of an incentive to collect the check from the government than she did from actually being a member of a stable married household. And that's exactly why fatherlessness has gone up dramatically over the last six decades because you get what you actually pay for in this country. Now 25% of kids are born into a, a household without a father in that house. So in a certain sense, it's not surprising. You get what you pay for. That's what we're paying for, and therefore that's what we're getting. And uh, then the, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, and then the kids, because you don't have both of those figures, I mean, a woman and a man brings two very different values to a child, then our kids are losing part of the hard work. You know, I feel like in a father figure, he teaches you like, okay, let's go outside in the yard. Let's get this work done. Let's yep. do this, right? You bring so many different things into your character, and so you lose that, then that's we're also ripping that from people and yep. our generation. And it becomes a, a cycle, I, downward cycle. I grew up in, a, in, a, in an environment where I came from a very established neighborhood. My parents did well. They're immigrants, but they figured it out. And But my dad's, one of his stores were, is in the liquor store. And guess, out of all the places they wanted me to work, they wanted me to work there. Because they want me to taste what hard work and nothing out of that comes from. My dad would make me work a week. Like, I'm talking from the sunrise to the sun sets for 100 bucks, And my friends are getting like 1000 bucks a month for free. Just mm-hmm. nothing. And I sat there and I, and, I, and I learned from the opposite ends. I learned what it looks like to be spoiled and have nothing to work for. And I, and I saw what it looks like to work 
every single day with your uh, with your sleeves rolled high, but you have enough for the next day. Mm-hmm. And I saw a lot of things that that broke my heart when I found out that the government chips in for uh, mothers and fathers that have children though, and they don't have a, a good income. Uh, I got so excited. I got so excited. I was like, yes, finally, our, our country's doing something for these people. My dad started laughing his ass off. He goes, mm-hmm. you want to see what this does? Come. And he showed me a <laughs> bunch of our employees' neighborhoods. And we walked in, and my father takes care of the neighborhood around him. So if he finds out that a man went to prison and he was a good customer, he would make sure that there was bread on their table while he was gone. Mm. So I walked around, and I saw the separation of people that wanted to work to achieve more, and then I saw a separation of a different type of uh, uh, class where they were purposely getting pregnant Mm. and sticking all these kids in one bedroom so they could get a monthly residual. Hmm. They used their own system to benefit, but they're, they're putting these kids through hell. I yeah. walked into that house. It smelled so bad. I couldn't even believe how bad it smelled. I couldn't stand in the room. And these are the people that are coming and grabbing four locos and they're grabbing beer and they're grabbing Swisher sweets off the money that their children have in their house. So what I want to say is thank God that there is a place where if there is unfortunately a woman who's raising children, she needs help. But can I ask you something? Why isn't there anybody following up to see how these kids are being treated? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's and that's the thing. That's too. fascinating, man. I mean, it, it, that's a that's the right question to ask you. No, no, no. I, I want to finish this up. Yeah. If you're going to make sure that you're accountable before we give you life, before you adopt, we got to right. we're going to run through every single thing you have in your house. But you're telling me now that these people are popping out babies and you're not checking in on this family that you're giving money to every month. Right. There's not one person's job to go and hey, make sure that this kid has his own room, has his own meal, has his own socks. Dude, the guys didn't have socks. That stuck with me. Mm-hmm. They didn't have socks. And yet now I'm at the cash register giving them their alcohol, knowing that their kids don't have fucking socks. Mm-hmm. How is this fair? Yeah, to anybody. It's not compassion. It's cruelty. It's throwing money kids. at a problem they don't give a shit about. That's right. That's right. And it, and it goes back to it's kind of like that same impulse of escapism that I was talking about, which is give your money to Ukraine, right? It doesn't matter that you're solving the problem there or not. Your problem's right here at home. It's a way of taking an action that makes you feel like you did something, which is an illusion when, in fact, you're doing nothing or worse. Nothing or worse in the process. The school system failed kids because how are we getting out at the age of 18 not even knowing anything? But I'm 31 years old and I'm playing catch-up. Mm-hmm. I, I don't We're know anything that's going on. And I'm trying my best to be humble and accurate and a hard worker. But we're teaching kids Latin. That's a dead language that no one's ever used in their life but they're not going to teach them how to pay their taxes. You're going to teach people. I think we're teaching them none of them, none of the above. Nothing. They're, they're not, we're teaching, teach- none of, we're not, we're not, we're teaching them neither how to pay their taxes or how to actually do accounting, nor how to know how to Latin either. You're setting them up for I failure. Think I think we're how do we get there? Because nothing. this is what happens, right? You know how you wanted to play chess? Hey, it's a split. You guys get fathered in. What Our children are our future. Mm-hmm. So why don't we start educating our children? Yep. That's where I would hit. I don't even care. I would see this as a lost cause. These people are shaking hands with each other. Mm-hmm. I want to educate the children to say, hey, your, your fathers aren't doing well. Mm-hmm. You need to get educated because they're separating you guys. Mm-hmm. When I see, I'm seeing my own citizens of America. How did we get to a place where me and you were born, where our parents look and be like, you have no idea what kind of country you're in. Mm-hmm. And now I'm looking around and I'm seeing people tear each other down. We're on the same team. Mm-hmm. We are on the same we team. We should be. And we lost. Is other countries interfering with our social media to tear us apart? Some of them are. Absolutely. But I think that we can't just blame it on somebody else, 
right? I think that I think it's easy to point it, it, that that's happening. But we got to look within and ask ourselves, what is it that makes us fall for the trick, right? A nation of sheep is what breeds a government of wolves, right? And so we can blame the wolves, either our own government or actors from the outside. But I think the harder question is, what is it inside each of us that makes us want to bend the knee in that way? And I think that that goes back to that fundamental loss of purpose, grounding, mooring. We're rudderless right now. Bring back the value of each individual, the value of the family, of the nation state, that I'm a citizen of this nation, not another one, that it is one nation under God, that I believe in something bigger than myself. Once we ground ourselves in that, then you know what? It's going to be pretty hard for somebody else coming in from the outside to divide you when you're actually grounded in your own convictions. And so, yes, there's a million things from the top down that I've written about in my books and elsewhere and talk about in the campaign about how we have corrupt government actors working with companies and tech companies to do through the back door what they couldn't through the front door, the effects of China or other countries manipulating and artificially using social media to sow division in our country. Yes, it's real. But it's still only, that trick only works if we let it work because we've left ourselves so vulnerable and exposed to exploitation. And I think where I'm moving now is much more less focused on the external, that becomes a lot easier to deal with if we've actually dealt with the vacuum of the internal in the first place. And that's not just going to be through politics. I mean, it comes through, I think, actually having open conversations in the next generation that's been taught to shut up, sit down. I think it's the pendulum coming back. I think it is. John F. Kennedy had an amazing quote. He said, stop asking what the country could do for you, but what you could do for the country. Mm -hmm. And I think we need that. But not only that, I think there was a thing my mom would tell me when I'm hopeless and I'm lost and I'm confused. And I, I pray, man, that this really enters people's ears, especially people that know who God is. Stop telling God how big your problems are and start telling your problems how big your God is. Mm, I love that. We need faith in this country We need it more than ever. I'm tired. I'm tired of seeing amazing people around me. But I know that we're the laughing stock of other countries because we are so divided when we have a perfect opportunity to not be divided. We have all the resources. We have all the power. It just breaks my heart that, you know what this country is? I'll put it in, in, in a good term. This is what I feel. And I truly feel this with all my heart. I believe that God is a God that will answer. When you pray with all your heart, he answers. And I believe that all the blessings that we see with our feet up and the stimulus checks and the and the fortnight with the smoking of the weed, and we're all living like kings and queens because I believe that the, that the men and women that built this country prayed to a God that their children would be blessed. But we're running out of time mm-hmm. because that prayer wasn't answered for us. It was answered for the men and women that were rolling up their sleeves, getting to work and fearing God. So we're going to get to a point right at the edge where everything's going to fall over. And I really think that now it's not about war. It's not about our tax. It's not about our leader. We got to make sure that our eyes are on a fundamental that we could all live by. And you could believe in Jesus is your God or not, but go look how he changed the world without raising one sword, Mm -hmm. the whole world, not one weapon. It's exactly right. Now, I think that 
that spirit is something that we're missing today, actually. But how do we bring that? But what would you say is the way to bring it back? I mean, for me, I think it takes more people willing to talk about their faith in the open. We need heart because we all don't care anymore and we don't have heart into it. And so we're not pouring our passion and caring for our neighbors and really caring about what the outcome is. Same thing that comes back to giving people checks, but then there's no one checking in on those homes, making sure that everything is good with them. Because that could help a lot of families, you know, like I come from my mom had, you know, we had to leave my father. And so she was the one raising us. But that was truly like a situation where it was difficult. My mom had to roll up her sleeves Mm -hmm. and she started back from scratch. She could have used some of that help. Mm -hmm. But but not, but it's, so it's unfortunate that there are situations like that where it's like some people really do truly need the help, but then other people are kind of ruining it for the others and taking advantage of it. But if we had more people with heart and who cared and who had something that they feared, then we would eliminate so many of these issues. Yeah, right? I, I think a good way of starting out, and that was unbelievably beautiful, and, and you inspired me to say this, uh, is it, stop preaching with your mouth. I mm-hmm. think that's the first step. Preach by your actions. Yeah. What do you do? You, you want to see a man who, who knows God, know him by his fruits. Mm-hmm. What is he doing for the people around him? How is he providing with his energy, not even just his work? How is he talking to the people around him? I, I saw your guys' debate, and to be honest, it, it looked like a comedy roast. It looked mm-hmm. like you guys were just ripping each other apart, which is hilarious, but those are our leaders. So what TV leaders, made, That's what TV does to you. But if our <laughs> leaders are tearing, us, are tearing each mm-hmm. other down, how are we not going to tear each other down? Mm-hmm. That's, you know, that's the only question I have. And, and the beauty of this is that I actually think our country is not nearly as divided as we're taught to believe. I mean, TV and and social media creates a projection of division that I can tell you from being in roomfuls of hundreds of people across this country from Ohio where we are now to Iowa to where I've been to everywhere else. I think 80 plus percent of us in this country actually share the same foundational values. I agree with you. Television is tell a vision. It really is. Tell a yeah. vision, right? It's it's yeah. it's a war factor. So when you said, how do we get it's that? fake division. It's it's one re- waking up, yeah, right? just seeing what's actually true. Two working with with your chest out. But you know what's beautiful about when I keep telling people to put it in God's hands? Everybody in the Bible, David, who ran a beautiful country, was a shepherd's boy. Mm-hmm. He was a nobody. They didn't. The father didn't even bring him to present him as an option. Yeah. So that should remind you. I don't care where you're at in life. I don't care where you could be in your mom's basement smoking, repaying Fortnite. Good. Start using your prayer. But most importantly, start acting like how you want the people around you to start acting. Stop waiting for the person to be a good person. Start being the good person. If you see somebody talking about Joe Biden and they're tearing him down and you want to vote for Trump, be a good representative of Trump and say, hey, stop tearing down Joe Biden. We're together. Start facing what you don't like about Joe. Then we could discuss it. But tearing down each other is not going to get anywhere. Mm -hmm. It's not going to get anywhere. If there's one, two, three, four, five, six people in this room and I kill off three because I don't like the way that they're acting and another country comes and brings 10, 15, 20, they all get along, we're destroyed mm-hmm. because we're divided. So we need to start. If you, you're asking me, how do we start? By setting a good example, watching mm-hmm. your mouth, seeing if somebody irritates you, don't tear them down. Let's build them up. Uh, and I think that's the only way that we could get ourselves back. It's kind of like this. Come on. Mm-hmm. If you really think somebody's beneath you, yep. instead Give of shitting hand. on them, come on. Come with me, because if you had that attitude, I think that we would get along. And also, we're having a respectful conversation, mm-hmm. right? We agree on a lot of things. Mm-hmm. But if I disagreed with you, how much eager would you be to work with me, do another episode where we're opening up eyes, if I'm shitting on you? Not very much. Nah. Yes. But if I say, hey, I disagree with you on this, this, and that, but hey, uh, explain to me your 
position. Now imagine if I came to you by asking what you're coming from mm -hmm. and caring from where you're coming from. And then now that I know where you're at, me and you could walk to where I am. Mm -hmm. And then you could make your own fair play. But me not even giving a shit where you came from, that's something, that's an abomination of a man. Yeah. I do think that modern social media does play into that, that dimension of it. Because, you know, something gets amplified, or, or television too, in terms of the number of views and advertisers, etc., there's a part of us in each of us that wants this, that wants what you described. But I think that there's a, the part of us that mostly guides people towards acting ends up being in the shortest term, whether they click on something, whether they change the channel or not, is not something that actually pleads to their inner desire for unity, but something that pleads to their inner desire for division, even artificial division where none exists. And so it comes back to a lot of our own nature where if you look at, I don't know, which tweet gets the most likes, right? it's actually one that it's not focused on building somebody up. It's focused on what actually tears somebody down. And so it comes back to that inner vacuum and void that I think there is a side of each of us that the deeper true self wants what you describe. But there's a superficial version of self that guides us to behave in ways that are not really helpful to our own values in the long run, but our short-term impulsive behavior is really the backbone of creating much of the modern digital economy that creates that conflict, where 80% of us actually do share those same foundational values in common, but the way that we behave in the short run in terms of how quickly I'm gonna click on A versus B is guided not by that shared commonality of value, but a short-term impulse within me mm. that's different from the true me, right? And so then our society, even though 80% of us are united, appears to be different than what that true country really is. Does that make sense? It does. And, and biblically, do you know what the Bible says about impulsive people? What does the Bible say about it? They're fools. Mm -hmm. Well, all of us are fools then, I think. 99% of us actually, are. Actually, you know what, too? And I feel like... Because I think most of us are impulsive people. Yeah, definitely. And I think one of the first things that we need to do is become aware that we are this way. Once we are aware of it, because actually it's something that we were working on ourselves. We told ourselves, you know what? We need to stop gossiping. No gossip when you're with people, when you're a group of friends. We don't need to be gossiping other people, talking crap and all that stuff, right? It's a very easy thing that we all do in conversations because it's easy to relate with mm -hmm. someone. Oh, you just like this person? Yeah, me too. Mm -hmm. And once we started working on this on ourselves, we realized it. I noticed like I was in conversations with some friends of mine that I hadn't seen in a bit. And I sat around and I was like... I, my skin was crawling because I had no responses to what this person was talking to me about because mm -hmm. all it was was gossip and negativity mm -hmm. and talking about other people. But unfortunately, this person wasn't aware of it. And if you're not aware of the problem and the thing that you are used to doing, then you can't fix it. And then now imagine what you just described in a bilateral conversation mm -hmm. being algorithmically amplified where there's 10 million people quickly deciding what they hit like on versus not that then creates a dominant character that actually is different than what most people in a peaceful state of mind would say they actually want for themselves. Mm, totally. Even that person who you're talking to, who's your friend or whoever you haven't seen in a long time, that might have been her impulse in the moment. Mm -hmm. I don't know her. I don't even know who it is. But my guess is if you caught her on a truer version of herself, hey, is you know, what's important to you? Is it engaging in some sort of cheap chat gossip that's, you know, tearing somebody else down for the heck of it because it feels good in the moment and gives you a serotonin hit? 
or is it to actually find commonality of purpose amongst your community, even in those people who you disagree with, 100%. to create something that you otherwise wouldn't have that's productive and, and powerful and healthy in the world? Mm-hmm. She would say that. But her short-term action, just like most of us, are the same way. Same with us. We're not perfect. We do the same thing. It's just our nature as human beings. But well, we so, stopped working on each other. And, yeah. and so how do, how, how do we... I, I, I think that we're less successful, for me at least, if we f- try to flog ourselves for that and say, don't be that way, don't be that way, versus acknowledging that we're fallen. Yeah. And there are elements of us that are going to always have the impulse. I don't think I don't think you're going to ever correct for an impulse by scolding somebody out of it. Amen. Exactly. Right? So just recognize that we have it, and that's your freedom from right. it. I was um, going to sit there and be like, "Oh, relax." Yeah. Like, "Oh my god, that's stop. not going to work." That's not going to work. So right? th- th- this is this is a beautiful thing you said because this is exactly what Jesus did. Hmm. He never, he condemned their actions, but he never condemned the them, person. Yeah, or the element so, of So them. check this yeah. out. When we were giving this influence to people, I wasn't like, yo, quit the jib jab, bro. That's above, me. like, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I, I, that's not how I behaved. I would be like, hey, you know, I'm actually working on myself right now mm-hmm. and I, I'm limiting the gossip talk. I don't yeah. want to talk down about people. I brought it to me. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And hey, so this is I'm, I'm trying they had myself. To, if they want to hang out yeah. with me in the room or if they want to go in the direction that I'm going, they have to carry themselves with respect, right? Yeah. So I'm going to respect George. Because I, I, he's working on this, so I'm going to work on this. And yeah. guess what? When she worked on this after I brought this up, then she realized, oh, her friends do this. And now she could genuinely bring it up as a concern about herself to her friends. And now we're fr- see what's happening yeah. here? Mm-hmm. It's starting to move out of the circle. But it didn't start by me being like, hey, Vivek, you need to watch your mouth. It went mm-hmm. like, hey, Vivek, I'm here as a student. I'm learning from you. Uh, and I'm working on my gossip. I'm doing this. Now... You respect me and you're mm-hmm. saying, okay, let's work on this together. And now you're taking that turn. But it's different from me scolding you when you know yourself that I do that too. Right. I- exactly. So we all acknowledge that about ourselves, acknowledge that about the people around us. And you invite people to, you know, maybe allow their own inner lion rather than their sheep to actually be what guides their action. 100%. And I think that that's where we are right now is there's, there's a lion and there's a sheep inside each of us. And I think that if we allow that inner lion to awaken itself in ourselves and those who are around us, I think the, the more likely we are to get our country and our society and ourselves back in the process. And I think God is a great aid in that process. So, Even if you don't believe in him. So why reject the aid? That's, it's, it's, you brought up an interesting point. I had a philosophy professor once who, uh, he's an atheist, but he says... No his, way. But his, <laughs> there but, always but, are. But his recommendation, exactly, of course, right? <laughs> but his recommend, but, he, but he, was, he was talking to the students in the classroom to say, when you have kids, I would still recommend that you raise them with a belief in God. <laughs> you know why? Though? Wait, wait, do you right? know why though? Yeah. Because As even if you do aid. not believe in God, you cannot deny his works. Yeah. You can see a... Okay, let me give you an example. Would you, if you found out that this guy's smoking pot and playing Fortnite all the time, would you let your kids go be babysit by him? Or would no. you want the Christian man that you know his values are great? Take the Christian man. Okay. Yeah. So that, there's, there's yeah. proof in the works. Now let me circle back to, uh, to, uh, uh, to fatherhood because the way you carry yourself is very honorable. I really respect Thank you, you because you're honest. Thank and, you. and I really, really respect an honest man. And just to let you know, I would have voted for you. I, I truly, it, truly would have voted for you. And I waited till now to get to you know you a little bit more, but I truly would have voted for you. I want to know now, how are you carrying yourself as a father? When you're raising hmm. your two kids, what are you doing? And what are you trying to separate their actions versus the kids around them's actions? Yeah, I think maybe it's starting, maybe picking up right where we left off. Let's not worry about the kids around them for a second. And let's sort of start with the own impulses that we recognize in our kids 
one of the things that Apoorva and I try to work on is you can see a lot of those, we used the word impulses earlier, those are wired into our nature from much of a young age. And so some of this is we set boundaries. So we've done something with our older son. It actually, he's, he's three years old, right? But it kind of works where he gets to make the choices, right? So we have, a, we have an imaginary system of like play money in the house, right? Okay. So if, if, if he wants to actually wear his own shoes, he actually earns a little bit of money in the process. Now, is that because we're teaching him to value money or the things money can buy? No, it's less that, but more the system of understanding that if I do something right, that I am rewarded in some way for doing it. And if I am going to be disrespectful to somebody around me or to my little brother or whatever, well, you know what? You lose your money uh, as, as that same consequence. And so... I love you know, that. Though. Yeah. And, and, even, and even some of the things he feels you know, insecure about, like many kids do, right, is you know, going to sleep at night. It's like one of the most difficult things because you worry about you know, being alone. I think that's, that's every kid's great fear. Well, we, we've given him a chance to say that on those occasions, right, if, he, if, he's, if he's done a good day's worth of work, he gets to sleep in mom and dad's bed you know, mm-hmm. on that night. And he feels a sense of security. But on a day where he hasn't necessarily done that, he has a chance to reflect on what that was. And we will put him to bed on his own terms. And that almost was a way of actually overcoming a fear of something completely different, right? You're afraid you're in the dark in your own room. Am I all alone? But instead actually gives him a sense of reflecting on, huh, maybe if I had done things a little bit differently today, then maybe I wouldn't be feeling this way. But ironically, that actually allows him to overcome his own fear of sleeping in his room alone. You fixed his focus. Yeah, that's oh, yeah. A, it's a reframing. You fixed his focus. Are you more concerned about your problems, or are you now more concerned about these new obstacles I put in front of you? Right. right. Like, okay, I got to make dad happy and put my shoes Less on Less about you. And that gives him his, his sense of empowerment, actually, mm-hmm. in the process, too. It's a small things, but I think one of the things I've learned about, you know, I'm still only three years or three and a half years into parenting, but one of the things I've learned is... Framing matters a lot, actually. So even the same set of facts, just how you frame them for a kid, and I think it goes for other aspects of your life too, but it definitely goes for parenting, is the framing of the same situation, same truth, same reality, but but the different framing of it can often make all the difference along the way. Could you give me an example? Yeah, I think that... Um, you know, like, let's say he, he has done something that he was... That, let, let's say he hit his brother, Okay. Framing it as, okay, this is something that is like a hard boundary. I mean, I've, I've tried it both ways, okay? There's a hard boundary of something that you're not allowed to do. That then becomes then a question of being framed as, okay, I, I did something that my father saw me do that I shouldn't do. But just being told by my father that I wasn't going to, that, that, that he saw it, is one framing of it, which is just, okay, that's a rule, but I still might break the rule sometimes, versus a system in which we understand that, okay, you've made a poor decision. Here's the consequences of your decision, and you're going to live with that consequence, right? Now, whether or not, you know, I saw it, what the experience that sticks with you is the consequence of what actually happened to you. That allows him to think about the fact that, okay, my actions actually have consequences versus am I following a strict rule that doesn't have any consequence attached to it other than the fact that I just got yelled at for it. So I think it's the same thing, the same situation, but how you frame it in terms of is it something that actually has a consequence to you or is it something that you're going to be scolded at? Is something that makes all the difference in the world of guiding his actual behaviors. And I bring that up in a kid. I mean, he's a three-year-old kid. It behaves no different than every three-year-old does. But it's not that different of a principle even when we think about how we structure a society, how we structure 
the framing of the challenges that we face every day, even as, as teenagers or as young adults or as adults of a different age too. I think framing makes all the difference. What is it that you fear that your children are going to have to deal with that we didn't have to deal with? Hmm. I think AI, I think is a big, is a big, um, factor that undoubtedly our kids are going to deal with that is something of a character that we never had to in the same way, which is not just computers, right? I mean, that's one of the things we dealt with that the prior generation didn't have to deal with, but computers are just without hyperintelligence or superintelligence are just responding to what we actually put right back in them. So that's one thing you could say there's all kinds of dangers from screen time or something else that apply to our generation, but I'm talking about something else, which is the idea of something that emerges that is different than what you fed that computer in the first place. Of them having their own mind. Yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. And then that mind is able to take advantage of you in a way that you don't realize that you're actually being taken advantage of. Right. I think that's actually different. It's one thing if it's a human being using an instrument to take advantage of you. It's another if it is actually a being that was programmed by your own very actions projected back against you to take advantage of your own impulses or your own behaviors that you didn't even know was doing it. I think that's going to be one of the great dangers that we face in the next, or certainly that our kids face in the next 20 years. I think it's inevitable. I think when I see that, I see, again, I'll bring it back to biblical terms. History repeats itself. God mm -hmm. created humans. Humans killed God. Yes. Yeah. I think and so when we create another form of life, I believe that's when they kill us. Or another form of intelligence. Yeah, exactly. But even before we jump to the end, all the people that are working the nine to fives, all these people that are busting their, their hearts out, the ones that they're throwing money at because they know that that problem is about to be solved when we replace them. Mm -hmm. I think the separation from rich and poor, there'll be no more middle class. And I believe the only reason there was middle class now is to scare, I mean, poor before and then middle class is to scare the middle class into going poor. Mm. And I think once they remove that, it's going to be the people that are really running this earth and the robots and everybody else's servants. Mm. And I think it's going to be at a, at a whole different ballgame. I, I think that, it, you know, it's not, it's not crazy. A lot of people would hear what you say and they could say that's just crazy talk. I don't think that's crazy talk. I mean, I think there's a lot of different ways it could play out. It may not play out in the way, sense that, there's like robots with two legs that look like, you know, Android objects. But the spirit of what you said, I think, is pretty close to how it's going to They're, they're not out. there yet. But, yeah. we, they, well, I mean, dude, Elon but Musk it, is, it, is it, building little robots. But it doesn't, even, it doesn't even have to be done in the way that those robots necessarily look like humans. Right? They just wreck mm -hmm. the, the internals. Those robots could just be whatever has the ability to exert control over your mind or behavior, whether or not it looks we, like a humanoid object. How do we, how do we like, itself, so a how do we like that could figure out? that out? I feel like that's a fire that's growing really quick mm -hmm. and we're all like, mm -hmm. you know how you were saying we won't deal with our problems. We'll deal with it later. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, like, I, and I, I would hope somebody corrects me, but if I'm wrong, but I, I'm pretty sure it was, it was a, I'm not going to even mention the company cause I don't want to get in trouble, but there was a company that had an AI, uh, two AIs and they shut them down because they created their own language to speak together. Yep. Yep. That's, that's not unheard of. Hey that's man, exactly that's scary. <laughs> Yeah, so, so I think I think one one thing we could do right out of the gate is at least draw a boundary between any AI driven product or algorithm and children. Let's just start with that. I'm not saying that's the end all be all, yeah. but that's at least a starting point to say mm -hmm. that if you're actually using hyperintelligence or superintelligence, at least draw a boundary between the interface of that product and children for what it's worth. If we Let's can't draw there. boundaries within ourselves, how are we going to do that? Oh, exactly. But 
That's where we got to first be able to draw boundaries within ourselves and within, you know, but we've already done it, right? We already say that you can't smoke a cigarette before the age of 18. You can't have an addictive drink of alcohol by the age of 21. Now, how well do we enforce that? We could, we could debate that. But I think that you should not, you know, sexually inappropriate material below the age of 18. At least we should be doing that. Well, I would say the same thing with respect to something that could exploit your own impulsive behaviors back against you. There's a lot of protection even adults might need from that. Mm. Yeah. But let's just agree with where we'll all begin. Where, how are we going to at least protect minors? Because minors are not fully formed adults. And so we already have a framework for recognizing that. Let's at least use that to take the first step in protecting. You asked about the next generation. What risks are they going to face that we didn't? Well, at least let's protect them until they're 18 years old. Let's start with that. That's something Democrat or Republican, black or white, we should be able to agree on. And I think those are areas where, in some ways, I think it's valuable to talk about some of the risks that we will face in the future. Because right now, our politics is such that if you're talking about an issue that we're facing here and now, people have already formed their own strongly entrenched partisan biases about what they're supposed to say or not about that issue. But if you're talking about something relating to the future, right, the future of blockchain or AI or you know, what, what the heck is going on with UAPs or what we do or don't know or space exploration. We can pick that set of issues. They're really important to the future. Everybody recognizes they're very important, but they haven't yet been polluted by the partisan bickering. We actually can use those kinds of issues as a way of building our muscle memory of having a thoughtful, respectful, policy-driven debate or conversation, and then use that muscle memory to come back and then debate issues like how we're going to deal with drilling or fracking policy or the border or racial quota systems or anything else. Those issues right now, you can't have those debates without people immediately falling into their camps. But if we have a thoughtful discussion about the future of AI and how we're going to protect children or the next generation from some of the perils of AI in the future— the beauty of that is, A, we might actually have something productive that comes out of protecting our children, but we've also built a kind of practice, right, a kind of muscle memory for how to be able to tackle a complex challenge in a society where that issue has not yet been balkanized or partisanized in the same way. So we say, okay, if we can address that, an issue that challenging, where we haven't drawn those partisan boundaries yet— then you know what? Maybe we might just be able to deal with our border in the same way, too, if you take our partisan filters off and deal with it in the same way that you dealt with actually a far more challenging issue to address, which is the future of AI. You get what I'm saying? Absolutely. And I, and I think it's possible. Everything yeah, is possible. So that, that's the practice that we need to develop. I don't want to install fear. I want to yeah. install faith. My last question. Yeah. Because your guy in the suit's like, you'll wrap it up. Or <laughs> sniper on the roof. Yeah. Uh, my last question is, there's a little version of me and you, right? New to this country. Our parents are very parents excited. Are new. Yep. Yeah. And uh, what would you say is the most beneficial first step for young Americans to roll their sleeves up and get to work? Mm. I want to give you a good answer. Let me just think about that one. Take all the time. I'd say two things. They go together, actually, though. When you let's tie this back to our earlier discussion about impulses, okay? One of the learnings I've had in my life is that I don't always have an impulse to be generous, but when I do, I've never regretted following it. Amen. Okay. 
So you will experience all kinds of impulses anyway. But this goes back to our theme. Rather than scolding them out of existence, some of those are actually very good impulses too. And, And whenever I've found the impulse to be generous, follow it every time. And there hasn't been one time I could look back and say I've regretted it. I, I've, I've gone back and looked at times where I've had that impulse, but then I've had other things that would say, oh, well, don't do it now or do it later, and then you never get around to doing it. That I've regretted. And there's a lot of other things I would regret, but there's never one instance where there was somebody who you were able to help. And it doesn't always have to come through charity. It could come through a business. It could come through creating a product that you, the only way you were able to do it was through a business. But whatever it is, whenever you have a basic impulse towards generosity— Follow it and act on it. And I think good things are going to happen for you and good things are going to happen for the people around you and the country that you're a part of and the world that you live in if you act according to that precept. And that way, you know, you're not in this difficult position where you have to effort doing something good in the world. That's a hard thing to do because then there's also situations I've been in where I didn't feel like being particularly like doing a thing, you know, let's say, you know, writing a check to some charity to go to some fancy ball. I hate that kind of stuff anyway. But okay, wait, like, did I really want to write $10,000 check to go to this thing and wear a black tie event? And, you know, because somebody's pressuring me to do it. Okay, I've done it before. I don't feel good about myself for doing that. That felt forced. But if there was somebody who, you know, as a woman I met in the campaign, I, I haven't talked about this publicly. No reason to. It doesn't matter. I did it because I felt like doing it, not because I want to talk about it. But who was struggling to get the one medication that she felt she needed in order to be successful, but it was only available in another country. It wasn't available in the U.S. because of the bureaucracy or whatever here. And she couldn't even pay for her travel costs to get there. But with somebody who we had an in-depth conversation with about the future of our own country, and she tells me at the end she's not going to be able to live to see me become president, but she wanted me to be well. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, why is that? She says, well, I can't pay for the travel costs to be able to get the care I needed. Mm -hmm. To not think twice about it, but to say that, you know what? It's not even the money, but the time we took to be able to help her family be able to go do that, that's a decision that I will never regret. There's a lot of regrets. I have a million regrets from the year of running the campaign. <laughs> Small regrets, things I would have done differently, but that's not one of them. And so that would be my advice anyway to a young person is don't force yourself to do something to prove that you're good to somebody else. You have enough good instincts in you. Just when those awaken themselves, just follow them. Follow them to the fullest. And that alone will allow you to achieve everything you ever dreamed of in terms of having a positive impact on this world and even a positive life for yourself. So there's a lot of things I could say, but if that was one thing I was going to pick, it'd be that. That's beautiful. That was amazing. You took two seconds. <clears throat> He's like, let me think. Yeah. Just, are you an AI man? <laughs> <laughs> That's what some people thought. <laughs> well, thank you so yeah. much for uh, taking you. the time, thank putting you, this in your home and having this conversation. Um, I, I pray that uh, if you're not the man yet to be running this country, I pray that God shapes you to be the best man to run this country. Um, thank because you. And, and, you're, real and people. you're doing what you're doing. And how often do you put this podcast out? Once a week. I, I pray that God gives you the words that need to be spoken to your peers and to your generation. That and means I think the world that that's, that's, that's what I will pray for, and I'm grateful for yours as well. Thank you so much. Thank you.